when hard providences befall us. And can you imagine any harder than what has befallen our beloved pastor? When providences befall us like these, I wonder how many of you begin to wrestle, have existential crises inside of you and start wondering, is God in heaven? Does he hear my prayers? Some of you may have wayward prodigal children of your own whom you have interceded for for years and you have wondered, is the Lord far? Is his hand short? Are his ears deaf? Is his heart hardened? Some of you have unspoken cries of your heart that you bring before the Lord daily. I do. You go look at my prayer journal. There's a particular request that I have asked the Lord every single day for the last year. And you begin to wonder, does he hear? Does he care? Should I pray? My word to you this day is not my word. It is Jesus' word himself. For in the seventh chapter of Matthew's gospel, we see Jesus in his most famous of sermons, the famed Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew 7, he has a word for us that I trust will sustain your faith as we collectively grieve on behalf of our pastor and as we collectively consider how we would respond to such a hard providence should it ever, Lord forbid, befall us. So don't take my word for it. I want you to hear the words from the lips of our Lord himself as recorded in the seventh verse of the seventh chapter of Matthew's gospel. If you found it, I invite you to stand with me and let's read together God's word. Matthew 7, beginning in verse 7. You know these words. You perhaps could recite them yourself. Hear now the words of our Lord. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? And if he asks for a fish, give him a serpent? You see, if you then, who are evil, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Why don't you join me as we pray? And let's spend a somewhat more extended moment interceding as a church for our pastor and his family. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we plead mercy for Clint, for Connie, for their son Mac for his parents who are beloved members of our church, Clint Sr. and Brenda, for his sister, Amy, and for all who knew Nate best and loved him most, we pray that you would do what you have promised to do, indeed that only you can, and that is be near to the brokenhearted and to comfort as the God of all comfort. 
and for this church, for we, your people, I pray that you would sustain our faith, strengthen us by your word, stir our souls by the power of your spirit to face the hardest of providences and to do so, though with tears streaming down our face, as those who have an unshakable and an unbreakable hope. And so I'm asking God that you would speak in and through me in spite of me to minister your word and to do what I have pleaded. And I'm asking this in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus Christ, my Lord and yours. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I wonder how many of you in this room carry with you just this quiet, silent cynicism about prayer. You just feel too distracted. Every time you try praying, it feels like your mind begins to wander instantly. Maybe you would admit that you're just a little too skeptical. Sometimes you wonder, was that an answer to my prayer or was that just coincidence? It seems like when I pray for something and I get it, the person who doesn't pray gets the same thing. So maybe this is just happening. I wonder how many of you recognize that you just are all too often too cynical. You just think this doesn't work. I'm, I'm just whispering into the wind. And so you feel consequently weary. And you're thinking, what's the point of prayer? I've prayed time and again endlessly. Kyler, if you only knew how long I have been pleading for this good thing. This isn't a bad thing. It's not a selfish thing. I feel like I'm surely praying the Lord's will. And I have been pleading for the Lord to do this good thing that I've seen him do in so many other families' lives. And he hasn't answered me. Why? Does he hear me? And if he does, does he care? Maybe, maybe he's not there. Maybe he doesn't hear. And if that's you, in this hour you have this quiet cynicism like a cloud over your head. And upon hearing this hardest of providences that have befallen our very pastor, you wonder if the Lord would allow that, then is he even in control? And if he is, is he even good? If that's you, I, I want you to hear, not my words, but the words of our Lord. For Jesus, in this text, he confronts our cynicism. It's as if he is skewering our skepticism on prayer. But he doesn't do so with this cold, hard logic, like the dad who just says, suck it up. It, it's a kinder, gentler, more warm-hearted, shepherd-hearted. It's what you would expect from Jesus our Lord. He comes, and with utmost patience and grace, he is calling you and I who are weary in prayer. And his words are so simple, the youngest in this room will be able to track with me. Are you ready for it? His immortal words to us this day are simply this. Oh, dear church, don't stop praying. Amen. Don't stop. Now, here's why we're inclined to. The reason we're inclined to stop is when you do something and it doesn't work, we're all pragmatists at heart. And we assume that we should just do something different and maybe get the result. But Jesus, in this text where he says those famous words, ask, seek, Knock, if you could read the original language, it actually is literally in a, what you would call a present imperative, which is just a technical word for saying this. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. It's literally what he's saying. His point is simply this. Don't stop asking. Don't stop praying. Don't stop knocking. Now, that might 
hit you kind of funny because you're thinking, well, does God need to be bullied? Does he only respond to us if we just petition him really hard? And, you know, that doesn't sound right. I mean, what good parent in this room would only answer their children if their children just pestered them without end? That's not a good strategy for parenting, by the way. What's God doing here? And this is, I, I pray you hear this. The Lord's logic in Matthew 7, verses 7 and following, is not for him, it's for us. He's designed it this way for a reason. I want you to see in this text that the reason he calls us to keep asking, to keep seeking, and to keep knocking is for three reasons. And if you're taking notes, I want you to mark these down. These three reasons are massive encouragements that if by faith you can grip them, they will sustain you when the waves of life crash upon you and you begin to wonder, does God hear me? Does he care? Is he there? Should I pray? His word is don't stop praying for number one, he knows you. And I want you to see behind those three words, ask, seek, knock, the way in which he knows you. Let's look at the word ask first. I want you to see behind this word ask is a simple, profound truth that he knows your needs. Think with me about what a child does when they ask for something. When a child is asking for something, it's assuming that the parents, let's just take mom, for example, that mom's in the room, mom's near. And so the child comes up to mom and starts to ask her for something. There's a couple things going on when a child asks mom for something. Well, one, it's showing that that child recognizes he or she has a need. I have a need that I can't meet. I'm going to go ask mom. In my home, even if dad is present, Liza will skip me and go search the house for mom to get her need met. But it also implies a humility. Because not only is that child recognizing that they have a need, they're also recognizing that only mom or dad can meet that need. To ask, in other words, is an act of humility. It's an act of demonstrating need. And this is what God is, in essence, calling us to. He is saying, when you come before the Lord, don't stop praying. Ask, because he knows your needs. He is calling you to keep bringing your needs before him. And the truth is, we often don't do this. How many of you in this room, don't raise your hand, rhetorically, of course, how many of you in this room would demand from the Lord? Do you find that to be true when you petition the Lord? You're just making demands? I mean, kids, don't try that at home. If you want to go get something from mom, you try demanding. In my house, that was going to get you a whole lot of nothing. You needed to, with utmost respect and humility, come before mom or dad with a need. And God is calling us to lay aside our all too often demanding heart, commanding heart. And he is saying, come to me not with a sense of demand, but with a sense of dependence. Come to me as a child would his parents with an utmost sense of need. Learn to depend on me. Ask. I know your, heart, or I know your needs. Just ask me. But then there's another word he uses which this is all basic English, but I want to draw the distinction. What's the difference between asking and seeking? Okay, so to seek should lead us to think that now mom isn't in the same room. Mom is probably outside the room, somewhere else. You don't immediately see her, so you gotta go seek her out. You, you gotta go find her. So what's implied by that? Well, at least a couple things. At, at, at least it involves action. You gotta actually move to go find mom. How many children in this room get in trouble with when if you're in a room and you need mom and you don't see her, you just start yelling, mom, mom. In my home, that would get you in trouble. My mother would always say, don't yell for me across the house. Come find me. Come seek 
me out and then speak to me. It implies an action. You need to go find. But there's also something else implied here. Dare I say it's a sincerity of sorts. It's truly seeking. So let's, let's differentiate here. I'm about to touch a sore spot in some marriages, at least in mine. How many of you have been sitting on the couch with your spouse and you can't find the remote? And your wife says, have you sought for the remote? And you just kind of like look around the room. I don't see it. And she says, well, did you move the pillows? Did you pull up the cushion? Did you put your hand between them? Did, did you do anything? And you're like, I looked. <laughs> what a world of difference between looking and seeking. Ask, seek, because he doesn't only know your need. He knows he knows your heart. He knows how prone we are to pray, dare I say, passively, to not actively pursue him in prayer. How, how many of you in this room would admit that your prayer life is often more like this? It's this sort of passive, ritualistic praying. You just pray before a meal because that's what you do. It's almost like a good luck charm. You just pray before you get in the car for a road trip because you, know, you should and you'd sure regret it if you didn't and, and something were to happen. It's a ritualistic type of prayer. Or, or maybe you must confess that your prayer is often passively faithless. That means when you pray, you're just kind of like, I don't think God hears me. I don't know that this is doing much, but I need to set a good example for my kids. And my wife will like it better if I do this in front of them. So I'm just going to pray, but it's faithless. You don't really think anything's happening. It's ritualistic. It's faithless. I wonder how many of you would admit that your prayers are often presumptuous. It's almost like a password or a magic spell. If I pray, then I'm going to necessarily get this. And then when you don't get this, you start questioning whether or not it was real, whether or not it works. He is calling us not only to ask, but to seek him, to actively pray. How do you actively pray? It involves a heart of expectation, an expectant heart that is seeking the will of God and is saying, oh God, not my will, but yours be done. I am seeking you. I am laying aside all other burdens, and I am prioritizing with all of my might that I am going to come before your throne of grace with confidence. Ask, he says. Seek, he says, for he knows your need. He knows your heart. But there is one third thing I want you to see hidden behind that word, knock. Let's talk about knocking. What's the difference between asking and seeking and knocking? Well, of course, to ask is your, somebody's in the room. To seek, somebody's probably outside the room. To knock infers for us that whomever you're looking for, let's say mom, is inaccessible. There's a door between you and mom. How many of you kiddos at night woke, wake up, middle of the night, you're a little scared, you come to mom and dad's bedroom door, and you knock. It's 2 a.m. Now, how many of you kids, if you knocked once, and mom and dad are fast asleep and don't hear you, would just give up and be like, well, I guess they're not there. No, it is intuitively built into us to keep on knocking until somebody rouses and hears you and comes and opens the door. This is the imagery behind our Lord's logic. He is calling us not only to ask him, not only to seek him, but to knock, to persistently pursue for he not only knows our needs and our hearts, hear this, Jesus knows our doubts. He knows how prone we are to assume he's not there if he doesn't immediately answer. 
which is why he says, knock. It is inferring for us a boldness or a perseverance. Don't stop. Keep pursuing him. How prone am I? I'm just confessing to you as one of your pastors. How prone am I to pray with a heart filled with doubt? Is he going to answer me? Does he care? Is he listening to me at all? He is calling you and I this hour to pray with determination, not to harass him, but to demonstrate our utmost trust. As a child knows, mom and dad are on the other side of that door, and so I'm going to knock till they hear me. So too, we have been called to persistently pray, to knock on the door, knowing that there is a good heavenly Father who in His perfect timing and according to His perfect will will hear the cries of His people. Oh, don't stop praying despite all the hard providences that may befall you, for yours is a God who knows you, both your needs, your heart, and your very doubts. But what's really interesting to me is verse 8 shifts gears And it is as if he makes some promises to us upon asking and seeking and knocking that may have you puzzled. Just look at verse 8. He says, for whoever asks, receives. Whoever receives, uh, seeks, rather, finds. And the one who knocks, well, it'll be opened. Well, that's odd. Doesn't that reek of prosperity gospel? You're thinking, well, does that mean if I do these things, I'll I'll get what I want? What What is God promising me there? How many of you find prayer to just seem unproductive? Prayers don't feel answered. Maybe it feels unnecessary to you because you see other people getting what you want and they're not praying. You're thinking, well, then what good is this doing? And what promise is he possibly making to me here? Because I don't feel like I've received. I don't feel like I've found. I don't feel like the door has been open to me. And I want you to see that this is a precious promise. Matthew 7 and verse 8 is a precious promise for God's saints. But let's see the promise from every angle. If you only look at it from one angle, you'll miss it. Let's spin the diamond around and look at it from every side. I first want you to note that this is not an isolated promise. This isn't the only time God says that he will answer the cries of your heart. If you read through the Bible, virtually every prophet to one degree or another tells us that God will answer you when you call to him. Take Jeremiah, for example. You just mark down Jeremiah 33 and verse 13, one of many examples. Call to me, God says, and I will answer you. It's not an isolated promise. We see this echoed in the New Testament. The Apostle John in 1 John 5 and verse 14 says, This is the confidence we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he will answer us. Or consider Paul in Ephesians 3 and verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or imagine. He is answering our prayers. But be careful. This is not an isolated promise, but it's also, let's turn the diamond a little, it's also not an unlimited promise. And here's what I mean by that. On the one hand, verse 8, which says everyone, is talking about believers. Jesus is talking to his own here. So this is a promise to those who are in Christ. He is responding to the cries of the hearts of those who are his. But there is an important caveat that we all too often forget. Mark in your margin the 66th chapter of the book of Psalms. Psalm 66 and verse 18. It's a critical caveat we need to consider. The psalmist tells us under the inspiration of the Spirit that if I cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not have listened. If you have an unrepentant heart this moment, here's what that means. You know you're sinning and you don't care. You are hardened. You are loving it too much. You won't confess it. 
I'm not saying you're sinless. None of us in this room are. I'm not saying you didn't even sin today. Half this room is guilty over what they said, did, or looked at yesterday. Nevertheless, the call is if you have done those things and you just don't care, there is not a promise to you. This is a word for we who, like David, confess our sins before him. If you have a repentant heart, there is a precious promise to you that if you ask, you will receive. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, that door is going to be open for you. It is an not an isolated promise. It's not a, an unlimited promise. And I also want you to see, for lack of a better word, it's not a transactional promise. Now, here's what I mean by that. Oftentimes we think that, okay, this verse means that if I ask, seek, and knock, I'm going to get what I want. There's a few things we just need to know from the Bible and from personal experience. On the one hand, it doesn't actually mean he's going to answer how you want. It's not true. Just take the Apostle Paul as Exhibit A, who had a thorn in his flesh that it says he pleaded with the Lord to remove and the Lord didn't. I'm sure Paul had pure motives. He thought his ministry could be better, his uh, stature and his community could be better, his mental state would be better, but he knew that the Lord had designed that this hard providence would befall him for Paul's good and God's glory. So he received it by faith, and he received it as an answered prayer, that God had indeed responded to the cry of his heart, and his response was, Paul, this thorn in my flesh is part of my precious promise to all creation, that I am working all things together for your good and my glory. Paul received it. It may not be answered how you want. It also may not be answered when you want. Oftentimes, his answer is not on our timetable. I bet none of you have ever heard of this guy before. There was a famed, uh, uh, not famed, an uh, unfamous missionary. Is that even a word? There was a missionary named... William Leslie, probably never heard of him. He's a medical doctor, spent 17 years in the Congo. It's recorded that upon his retirement and death, he died a depressed, dejected, despondent man because he thought he was a failure. He thought his life had been wasted, that he saw no fruit in his ministry. He wondered if the Lord had used him at all. Early 20th century. Many, many, many years later, in 2010, it was discovered that in the Congo there was a vast network of churches that was unknown to most evangelical minds. And upon inspection, they learned that this vast network of churches was attributed to an unknown missionary named William Leslie. He never lived to know it. But did God answer his prayer? Most certainly he did. The Lord's timing is often not our own. His ways are not our ways. His plans are not our plans. But praise God, His ways are always higher than ours. It may not be how you want. It may not be when you want. You may not even understand it. You're not promised to. But you don't have to understand to stand on His promise. You can stand with full assurance of faith that one day your faith will be made sight. One day, he is going to make all things new. One day, suffering, sorrow, sin, death will be no more. One day, it will make sense. But until that day comes, we will walk by faith and not by sight. Praise God that he not only, my friends, he not only knows you, he hears you. That is a second precious promise from this text. Our great God does, in fact, hear you. But if that is not sufficient for you, May I impress one third and final truth upon your heart. I pray it is like a nail that goes into your soul, that you would be pierced by the word, as the Bible says, and that it would leave you forever changed. For this same God who knows you, 
both your needs and heart and doubts. The same God who has promised to hear you and to respond to you in his own way and in his own timing, whether you understand it or not. This same God is one who loves you. And we see this most beautifully illustrated in verses 9, 10, and 11 when Jesus leverages the illustration that all of us know because every last one of us in this room was born by a father. We had a father involved. Whether you knew him or not, you are aware of an earthly father. And Jesus draws comparisons between God, the perfect heavenly father, and a good earthly father. Just notice, if you will, in verse uh, 9, how he begins to describe this. He says, well, which one of you, if your son asked you for bread, I mean, what good father would give his son a stone? Which, by the way, that's pretty basic logic, right? Any dad worth their salt is going to give his child food they need and not cruelly give him a stone. No dad in his right mind would give his son a serpent instead of a fish. But here's what's interesting. A good father also recognizes that children by nature may mistake a stone for bread. They may mistake a serpent for fish. And so not only do they give good things, they also protect them from not wanting those things that they think they want. They are often correcting them and helping them see that what they really need is what they should want. So too, he is saying, how much more our Heavenly Father does this, who knows you, all of your needs, more so than any earthly mother or father ever could, and he is going to perfectly meet those needs. If your father would give you bread and not a stone and a fish and not a serpent, how much more will God give you the good things you most certainly need? He knows you. He hears you. Any good father would listen to his child. It is a cold, cruel, callous father who just ignores their son and says, you know what, I've provided, so I've done my job. That's the problem with a lot of father-son relationships in this world is they had a dad who excelled at providing and was very poor at just listening and knowing their son. There was a, there's a famous book on prayer. It's the best one I've ever read on the subject by a man named Paul Miller entitled A Praying Life. It's in our bookstore. I commend it to you. You can find it on Amazon. A Praying Life, Paul Miller. In this book, he illustrates an exchange between a man and his counselor, Christian counselor, this man uh, is sitting at a counselor, and the counselor says, what does it mean to be a child of God? And the man responds with full theological precision. It means I'm forgiven. Praise God. It means that I have full access to God. Praise God for that. It means I have right standing. I'm justified before God. All of those are wonderful, glorious truths. But then the counselor asks, Yes, 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 that is true. Praise God for it. But tell me, what's it like for you to spend time with this God? And that man, with all of his theological precision, begins to stutter and stammer and says, Well, you know, uh, tell, the, tell you the truth, my mind wanders a lot, and I feel distant from him. I know things about him, but I don't really feel like I know him. And the counselor responds, Do you recognize the dysfunction of that relationship? It is a dysfunctional relationship if you know somebody, but you don't commune with that somebody. To know something about somebody is not to know somebody. So too, he is calling us to see 
that this good God who hears you and knows you, he loves you and is calling you to love him, to be in a relationship with him, to actually taste and see that he is good. He, like a good father, hears you, and he, like a good father, loves you perfectly. You want to know why I know so many of you fathers love your children imperfectly as it might be? It's because you daily sacrifice for them. You pay a price day after day after day for your family, your precious wife, and the children the Lord has entrusted to you. How much more our Heavenly Father, who has paid the ultimate sacrificial cost on a sinner's cross. This is why we say the bloody cross of Christ is the ultimate symbol of God's love for you. For God so loved the world that He gave Jesus His only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And so today, my final word to a great many of you is not, don't stop praying. Because I trust there's a great many of you in this room that need to hear this. Let's start praying. Perhaps you have been prayerless. You know it. You have no relationship with the Lord. You just know things about Him. You've probably heard a thousand sermons, but you don't know Him, and you know that you know it. Your relationship to Him is almost by proxy of your pastor. Whatever your pastor says, you just kind of like take it in, and then that's the full extent of it. It'd be like being married to somebody, but only talking to them through an intermediary. That's no relationship. The Lord is calling you this hour to pray to him. For when you do, here's his precious promise to you. He knows the real you. Don't think you need to clean yourself up to go before him. He actually knows every hair on your head, every beat of your heart. The Bible says you stand naked or exposed before him. That means all parts of you, the good, the bad, and the ugly, every dark, deep recess in your heart, every thought that you don't want anybody to know, he not only knows it, it is that version of you that Jesus loved and came to save. And so come to him. He knows you, and he will hear you, the Bible says, if you cry out to him. Romans 10 and verse 13, anybody who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So cry out to him and he will hear the cry of your heart of faith, knowing with full assurance that he who knows you and he who hears you will not, upon hearing you, turn his back on you with a cold, callous heart. He loves you and he will, like a good earthly father, come and care for you like none can. For he is a good, perfect, heavenly father. How much more, verse 11 says, will our good father give gifts? good gifts to those who ask of him. So dear church, don't stop praying. Ask, seek, knock. And when the hard providences of life befall you and the walls begin to close in on you and you wonder how a good God could ever allow this and you begin to silently, quietly, cynically, skeptically doubt that he is there hearing and if he is there and hearing, he doesn't care and has turned a blind eye, it is at that moment that we must hear Jesus' words one final time. Don't stop praying. Would you join me as we do just that? And as we pray today, I want to invite you to pray silently. And let's prepare to respond to the word proclaimed slightly differently than we ordinarily do. Ordinarily, we would go into a song of response, but today we will respond with the highest and holiest act prescribed by the Lord himself, the supper of our Lord, communion 
the Lord's table. In a moment, I'm going to invite you to just silently search your heart. For the scripture says we must not partake of this meal lightly. Indeed, we must, with a sober mind and heart, examine ourselves. And there is nothing like shocking news that will sober the heart of a man, woman, or child. And the Lord has seen fit to bring such news to us this day. And so as we pray, we would be remiss if we did not pray for the Presleys. You do just that. And as you do search your own heart, as you consider all of the hard trials and tribulations that have befallen you, and ask that the Lord would do a work in your heart such that you would go from this place this day with full assurance of faith, asking, seeking, and knocking, knowing that yours is a good Father who knows your needs, your heart, your doubts, and nevertheless He hears you and loves you like none can. You pray now and prepare your heart. And as you pray, I would invite you to take out your elements. And you may want to prepare them. Open the bread portion before the cup portion. And after we pray for a moment, I will lead us together in the Lord's Supper.